Natalie Bensavanga. And I'm Tony Norman. And this is In Other News, the podcast that is not afraid to go there. Where? Anywhere the story takes us. You concerned about speaking your mind? Me? Yeah, right. You? Ha! <laughs> Let's go, Nat. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is the second official episode of In Other News, and I'm your co-host, Natalie Bensvanga. And I'm Tony Norman, and, and, who's, and who's keeping track of how many of these we've done? I am. I mean, you know, they just, you know, whether it's <laughs> one or it's a hundred, I mean, we put the same energy into all of them because we love our listeners. So, yeah. Thank you. I love that. Right off the bat, you're already just like getting people to, yeah, you know, to join try, in the fun. We try to be philosophical when we can. Well, I was thinking about we should be like giving little titles to the show. So, for example, in other news, episode two, we're going to call this one "Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire" mm. because we've got we've got some interesting stuff to sort of kick things off from the national lens. But then we're going to connect it down to see how it's impacting us right in our wow. own backyard. So, I hope you're going to come on this journey with us because we're about to talk about George. Santos. At least we think that's his name. If that's his name. <laughs> the the alias. <laughs> One of many names. The reason that Tony and I really wanted to talk about Santos this week wasn't necessarily because we're trying to delve all into his nonsense, although you could spend a whole show on that. But really, it's about showing the importance of these committee assignments because there are two people in our own backyard that we're going to talk about who are really understanding the importance. I'm now understanding the importance of what it is to be on these committees. Because to be honest with you, I didn't really know much about these committees mm. in, in Congress. Did you? You probably did. Well, you know, I mean, just enough to get by, you know. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> to so, be perfectly honest, because so, we've never had to really think about it before. We've really never had to. Really. And, and since even talking about this topic earlier in the week, you know, Tony and I, we were discussing it with our production team. A lot has happened, but for for people that may not know much about what's been going on, you know, uh, he's from New York. His name is George Santos. He is a Republican, and he's going to be stepping down um, from his committees. And now he's also under a, an actual FBI right. investigation um, after they found that he was scamming a veteran, a veteran, excuse me, a veteran. I just made that. Up. I think I was thinking of <laughs> Fetterman in my head because we're going to talk about him uh, for a GoFundMe account that had to do with. Um, the death of this veteran's dog. And I guess he just ghosted him and took the money. As one will do when they uh, set up fake charities to scam um, their constituents and, and so forth. And Santos is particularly notorious. I mean, mm -hmm. he got elected basically. Um, uh, he's a fabulous and he just constructed a whole identity for himself that had nothing to do with reality. And now his constituents are deeply resentful of that and they overwhelmingly want to get rid of him. But that's another story. But, you know, it ties in because I was thinking when I when I was as a social worker in my previous mm -hmm. life and I was working with at-risk populations, I had to get an FBI clearance. Mm -hmm. I had to get my fingerprints. I had background checks. I had child safety checks. All of these things that I had to do to work right here in the communities of Pittsburgh, which makes sense, of course. Right. But when you think of how little stop gaps or checks and balances are happening apparently at the federal level when someone like Santos can just saunter in and create a persona, create an identity, it really kind of just like made me nervous. Right. And to think that someone like that would be sitting on important committees and yeah. in, in, he, in Congress, um, he was assigned to the science and technology uh, committee. And can you imagine oh someone 
who is a pathological liar on science and technology. I mean, you know, we would be hearing about UFOs and all sorts of stuff that were just I not know. true. And, you know, imagine the, the, the damage he could do to, to the credulous out there already. Well, and what concerns me, too, just to kind of segue and, and talk a little bit more about the media impact of this is, you know, I know we're joking a little bit about mm. the absurdity that is this person. And it is absurd. And it is absurd. But I think this is what concerns me when it comes to how the media is has been using this, you know, for fodder for late night talk right. shows and comedic moments. Ha ha, it's funny. But this is actually, he's causing a lot of real damage and real harm. And also, this is what we did to Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And we played down, I think, what he was capable of doing because of the absurdity factor and look where that got us so that's what really worries me right right we we don't want uh this clown to get the last laugh like donald trump did for four years so well yeah. i mean honestly too this also reminds me of just this idea of commodifying a, a position of power and authority and then making it less important once you do yeah. that so we we did it with the black lives matter movement mm -hmm. once you could you know, buy those t-shirts in Target. It was no longer <laughs> a threat to us. We did it with the Me Too movement, same mm -hmm. idea. And I think we're even doing it now with our political figures where they're becoming more of this sideshow mm -hmm. and not really a threat and we're able to make money off of them mm -hmm. by talking about them in these ways. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important that we address the importance of these committees, the impact that these committees have. Because when you look at what is going on right here in Pennsylvania and you see Representative Summer Lee... She is moving at full speed ahead, mm -hmm. which is so exciting, and is sitting on the Oversight and Accountability Committee, which is a very powerful committee out the gate. So that juxtaposition is really fascinating to me. Right, right. I mean, you know, when Summer was running for office, I mean, there was all of this um, disparaging talk about her. Oh, she's just running for the U.S. Congress because she wants to join the squad. Well, the fact is, is that, yeah, I think, yeah, she wanted to be associated with those folks but i think she really went to washington to do work mm. and that's how you do work in washington when you're a, a congressman you know you get on these powerful committees and uh, you represent pennsylvania's interests but you also represent the interests of of all americans and all americans get to see you and see what you do and see what bills you sponsor and so forth and so on they take you seriously uh if you're a part of a committee that actually has an impact uh, on, on, on not just the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, uh, but the United States of America. Yeah, that, I liked that. The United States of hey, America. You know, <laughs> Got to pronounce it with, <laughs> with, with <gusto>. conviction. <laughs> no, but I, I thought it was really interesting, too, what she had to say. She said, I'm, I'm sitting on this committee to give power back to the people. We have to make the government accountable to the people, which is in straight juxtaposition to what the Republicans want to do on this committee, which is, you know, basically um, go after Hunter Biden. Yeah. What is this obsession <laughs> with Hunter Biden? I, I I feel like they're really grasping at straws here. It's like this man has no position of authority. Like, I don't understand why we're going after him. So I liked that she was saying, okay, you guys want to play this game? Like, we're going to play this game too, but in an actual real way, because there's a lot of corruption from George Santos on down that is mm -hmm. happening within that party if you want to play. Do you mm -hmm. think that's what she's doing, a little tit for tat? Right, right. I mean, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, when, you, when you're in this position, um, you know, as a, as a politician, especially someone uh, like Summer Lee, who, 
who mm-hmm. came up through the ranks, who came up through the ranks, you know, at Harrisburg and, and, and really um, uh, proved herself there. You know, going to D.C. And, um, and representing Western Pennsylvania, representing Pennsylvania, the first black woman elected um, from this region, I believe. I, I, actually, I know that that's true. Um, you know, she's there. The spotlight's mm-hmm. going to be on her in a way it won't be on anyone else. And so, um, yeah, it's important that she not embarrass herself and that she... <laughs> I don't think she's going to embarrass herself. No, she, she won't. <laughs> she won't. I mean, she's too clear-minded. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, she was a lawyer, you know. Oh, yeah, so people there, forget that. Yeah, this woman she, has chops. She, she wasn't just some, some, you know, like, activist who right? got lucky. You know, she was... She actually has the, the you know, the, the skill uh, mm-hmm. and the brains to, to do whatever she sets her mind to, so... Well, and it's great because, you know, she wasn't the only one that was sort of positioning themselves in a way to sort of prop up this new agenda, I think, for the progressives. You know, our very own new senator, mm-hmm. John Fetterman. We're going to have Let's Giselle on here. Let's not forget him. Yeah. Let's not forget him. We're going to have his <laughs> wife on here in a minute to talk about um, her work and her new role. But Fetterman, out the gate, like one of the first things he did was co-sponsor a piece of legislation to ban assault rifles. Yeah, and that to me is is actually something that is about bringing power back to the people because I feel like we've declawed the government mm-hmm. in such a way that they can't do anything, even if it benefits the masses, and that is a big deal to to say out the gate. This is what I stand for. Right, it is a is a clear statement of your values yeah. when you when you um, sponsor or co sponsor legislation, uh, anti gun legislation. And so, um, you know, props to John Fetterman. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he's already coming through. There's a lot happening. So before we drill down with Giselle Fetterman, I just want to touch on the fact that there is a special election on Tuesday, February 7th. Mm-hmm. And if you are in the 32nd, the 34th, or the 35th uh, House districts, this one matters to you. So this is going to be replacing Summer Lee, right. Austin Davis, and... Uh, State Rep. Uh, Tony DeLuca, who I believe passed. Right, passed on. And so you have three empty seats that uh, are, are really important. And so um, so here we are. You know, this is, this, is, this is not a time for the folks in that district to just rest yeah. on their laurels. You know, mm-hmm. this is, you, you do your Democratic duty. That's right. And, and head to the polls on, on Tuesday and fill those um, vacancies. Absolutely. And fill them hopefully with. Democrats. I'm with just good, gonna say it. With, with, with good, <laughs> I'm just gonna say or, it. Or we can say just good people who will work for the, <laughs> oh, the interests. But yes, yes. In this case, it would have to be the Democrats. <laughs> um, and we'll also be sharing those action items. You know, if you want to check out the website at Next Pittsburgh, we'll have a place if you want to know if you're in the 32nd, 34th, or 35th district because we know it's not always clear. So stay tuned for that. But up next is the drill down with Giselle Fetterman. So excited. You're listening to In Other News. Thanks for joining us. So it's truly an honor to have our very next guest, our only, our second guest for the show. This is kind of incredible. And it's the wonderful, magnetic, amazing Giselle Fetterman, who I wasn't even sure how to introduce because she literally wears so many hats, Tony. Yes, she does. (laughs) Um, You know, and in fact, she, I think she is emblematic Mm -hmm. of what, the new so-called helpmate mm. of a politician should be, whether it's a male or female. I mean, she has her own charisma. She has her own following. Mm-hmm. And she's 
connected with so many, um, you know, endeavors that um, make our society better. Giselle, how's that for an introduction? Oh, I'm all emotional, <laughs> Tony. <telling laughs> <me>. Thank you. <laughs> no, you really are and have been for many, many years a lightning rod for equity and access in our communities. And I read recently on your Instagram that you're adding a new title, volunteer firefighter, to that list. Can you talk a little bit about this? Because I, I did not know this was happening and I was <laughs> over the moon when I saw this this post. It's, you know, I, I think it's like my next career. I, it's really a calling. I um, I love it. Like I can't get enough of the academy. I just I have academy tonight. Um, I've done three calls so far. I've responded to three emergency calls. Um, you know, I'm the oldest person in the academy, which is really cool. Like for the first time in my life, I'm the oldest person in a room. And I came home and I was so excited to tell the kids that I'm the grandma of the academy. <laughs> <laughs> and that you're never too old to pursue a dream. You know, I wanted to be a firefighter since I was a little girl. Really? Um, the timing never felt right. Um, but now the timing is right. So, so, so will you be a, a firefighter in a DC area? I mean, like I'm trying to, envision this to picture this like are you gonna like spend three or three nights in some you know firehouse and then i mean or how does this work so right now i would be a volunteer firefighter through river's edge 113 which is my station in braddock so i've responded okay. to three fires with them i don't know how it works when you split homes i don't mm -hmm. know if dc would take me a couple nights a week or something i'm not <laughs> sure i have to graduate the academy first to, to then think that way um but i love you know the team i'm working with i love my captain i love you know the chief and um just learning so much and i just love it so much so you're really going to keep a footprint here in braddock even though john is in the senate now and you're going to be splitting time how does that feel for you because i know this place braddock has had such an emotional spot in your in your heart. It was really a great beginning here for you. I'm lucky to be able to have two places. I will mostly be here. I plan to be in DC maybe once or twice a month. Spouse duties. There's like a lot of spouse things they do together. Um, but my home is here. My work is here. My kids are here. My dogs are here. Um, so mm. I will definitely spend my time here. Wow. Wow. Because I was just trying to picture... What happens if you get an invitation to the White House and you say, oh, no, that's the night that I have to be at the firehouse, you know. Call <laughs> priorities, Tony. <laughs> that happened. Um, I was supposed, there was a, we were invited to something with the president and I said, I can't make it, John. I have a fire academy. So wow. So wow. I love you like so hard. <laughs> And then shortly after that, Biden started having all these scandals. With, yeah. you know, so so I, it's, it began there with Giselle saying no. Oh, Giselle, I have always just so admired you. I remember the first time you and I met when I was working at the Post-Gazette many years ago. You had just given birth to your youngest son. And I think you were at the free store, which is where we did our interview and now the free store, which was supposed to be just a, you know, a five-year project has really turned into something special with a life of its own. What does that impact in the community that you were able to bring about? What does that feel like? And, and where do you see the trajectory of that project heading in the future? Well, I came from there. That's why I am like melting in snow <laughs> and the last several hours. Um, I have the best team in the world and you know, to think of ever, you know, it was a five-year project to start, but to think of taking this away from 
my volunteers, my community, I just can't do it. So it's probably going to live on uh, hopefully well after me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's such a special place. You know, we've had families who we met babies when they were still in the bellies mm -hmm. and now they're 10 years old. And, you know, we had a woman who came and she showed up with this giant box of Costco diapers. And she said, I came here eight years ago and had nothing. And you guys gave me diapers and I'm at a better place. And I just came to drop off these diapers. Like, you know, we have stories like that constantly. And we have shoppers who are now volunteers. We have shoppers who are now donors, right? We've been able to see these ways that life comes to us in. And we've been really lucky to be a part of that for so many lives. Do you feel like with everything that's been going on in the world and, you know, we have major issues right now with inflation. And I know I have heard more in my communities that people are needing to access food banks and, and other supports. Have you seen an uptick in people that have come to visit the free store or has it remained pretty steady over the years? Not so much with inflation, but with COVID we did. Okay. COVID was mm. the first time we had donors become shoppers. Mm. And thankfully we have a culture where it's not, people aren't embarrassed to come, right? Mm -hmm. It's a really well loving space. Um, but we had people who were donors their entire lives and now found themselves wow. out of work during COVID and coming to shop where they previously used to donate things. That's amazing. You know, I, I was thinking more about COVID earlier, Tony and I, we were just talking about how long COVID has really impacted people's lives and, and brought to light a lot of issues around disability justice. And we all know very publicly what John went through during his campaign, suffering a stroke and experiencing disability in a way that was very visceral and very real. Is that something that's going to be uh, brought to the forefront in the work that you're doing um, as you move forward because of what you experienced personally? Yeah, I, our family is new to the disability community. I mean, I have ADHD. I was diagnosed at 38. Um, to me, that's kind of my superpower. So I never viewed it that way. For me, it's really what allows me to do everything I do. For the first time in the history of the Senate, closed captioning is now part of the floor. Wow. Mm. Think mm. about that. In the history of this country, how many people benefit from closed captioning? Immigrants, the hard of hearing. Right. Like I learned to speak English with closed captioning right. and now for the first time ever, it is accessible. The Senate is now finally accessible. So, you know, I think John is going to open a lot more doors um, mm -hmm. and he's always a very empathetic person, but I think this has made him a better person, a better Senator, a better legislator to have had this experience firsthand. You know, um, yes, you're a disability uh, advocate. Um, are there other causes that you're sort of looking at, you know, you know, little sideways and going, hmm, I, I like to have a piece of that too, and so forth. And does it mean that at some point you foresee spending more time in DC so that you can lobby the appropriate folks? Because it, it would be probably difficult to work on those issues here in Western PA, but DC is where all the action is. I mean, that's where your husband is going to be. And and the people that you want to influence. So I, I just wonder uh, at what point will you say, hey, my kids are, you know, now the age we can all go to, you know, or they can stay here and I can go to D.C. and, and, and you know, realize some of these these um, these goals. 
And there's a lot of things I look at sideways. Uh, <laughs> Especially <laughs> me. I love you. Uh, no, not you. But just a lot of policy and, mm -hmm. and just systemic things. And um, I mean, I can always be up there for meetings and, mm -hmm. you know, I use my platform for a lot of that. Uh, something that I'm really passionate about that for the last couple of years that I've been working on is diversifying the bone marrow transplant. Oh, bank. yeah. Right. So, right. So there's a family in Pittsburgh, many other families as well, but I have a family in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jax is seven years old. He's biracial. So he's Latino mixed. And he, of 33 million blood samples, bone marrow samples in the registry, there isn't one that matches him. Wow. Oh my gosh. Mixed. So if you're a white child and you have a bone marrow issue, your chances of finding a donor are over 80%. Mm -hmm. If you're a child of color, your numbers are in the 30s. Wow. And that's because the database is not diversified. Right. Uh, so I've worked with this family to one encourage everyone to to be you know become registered. If you're up to forty years old, eighteen and forty, you can submit a saliva sample and see if you're a match. But right now, this is an inequity that we can fix. Right. We have to change that. So I talk a lot about be the match and the mayor. But there's it's a lot of things. I think I enter spaces thinking like. Who is missing? Like, mm. What is missing? How can this be better? How can this better serve everybody? And I think that's something that's always been turned on in my brain. Mm -hmm. And I can't shut it off. It doesn't matter where I am. I'm like, this isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, you, you've definitely talked about these kinds of issues over the years and, and, and who's not being included in conversation and who's not in a space where they need to be and issues that are systemic, but also very personal and local. And, and I know over the years, we've talked a lot about gun safety and gun violence in our communities and how that, you know, has a ripple effect through the whole country. And it, I was really proud when I saw John was one of the co-sponsors of, you know, his first bill, which is going to be, you know, helping to prevent gun violence. Can you talk a little bit about that from your perspective, having worked in that space for so long and did that give you hope because we live in such a polarized time that maybe we could move the needle on protecting our kids from, from gun violence? But I think we're used to yelling into the, into the nothingness, right? With our fear, with our disappointment, with, and feeling like nothing will ever happen right now. On day two in the Senate, the first thing he did was hop on a bill to, you know, ban assault weapons. So, I'm in rooms I never thought I'd be in, right? I still get these places and I'm like, holy shit. Like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we curse all the time here. No problem. <laughs> but like to know that someone who is as passionate about these things as I am is now in a position yeah. to actually create change. Mm -hmm. Like we've been yelling into the air for so long and now he's there and he can do these things. Mm -hmm. It's it must be surreal too. I mean, your journey, so many people know your incredible story, but to see where you are in this moment, you know, you redefined every role that you undertook when you were, you know, the wife of the mayor. And then when you became the second lady of Pennsylvania, and now um, in this position in the Senate, are you thinking about how you want to sort of redefine what it means to be the spouse of a senator? Or are you not looking to to frame it in that context? Because I mean, obviously you stand alone on your own, but you know, people look at that relationship and that dynamic in a certain way. So I think I, you know, I don't look for my space, but I think I find it, right? I really believe in like 
bloom where you were planted, right? And right now, this is where I'm planted, and I'm going to find a way to, to bloom. But also, like, when we, when John was running, I would always say, you're electing an entire family, right? Like, dogs are coming along, my kids are coming. This is a sacrifice that really takes a toll on the entire family. So you're bringing this whole family along. Um, so I've always viewed it from that perspective. I've always prepared kids for this idea because that's the reality. Um, but yeah, I, I hope to find my space. I'm, you know, making friends with the spouses. I'm figuring it all out. Um, I'm doing invitations for first lady Biden's, you know, luncheon that the spouses host, but I'm in an opportunity to have conversations that maybe weren't had before from a very different perspective. You know, there's three immigrant spouses in the Senate. That is it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going to be representing um, Braddock um, and Pennsylvania. And and most of all, you'll just be representing, you know, the dreamer American, you know, the one that so many people have stereotypes about. And you're smashing all of those stereotypes and, um, and, and making the whole idea of, you know, immigration so much more palatable to people who might have had uh, a negative feeling because of just a knee-jerk fear of the other. Because, you know, there's nothing more American than what you're doing. Volunteer f firefighting, you know, f you know, trying to, to expand the registry of, of bone marrow. I mean, there's, you're, you're, you're the quintessential American because you, you're extending your hand to, you know, outside your, you know, your, your circle, your immediate circle. So thank you. That. No, thank you. I've always felt very American. What was missing was just the piece of paper to prove it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I always believed it. But what's funny is that my dream was, you know, I was undocumented for over a decade. So my dream was that I would one day be called to be on a jury. Like to me, that's when I was officially in, you know, in the group when they called me for jury duty. And I did get called several years ago. So excited. It was like the happiest day of my life. I called everybody in Brazil. I'm taking pictures with my juror sticker. <laughs> and they go to you and they rejected me. Oh, I, yeah, because oh. you were taking pictures of everything. <laughs> so, and they said, well, so this I, is a mob trial here. <laughs> so I think what happened is I was I looked around this waiting room and I was literally the only person happy to be there. Right? Everyone right. was miserable. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I think they Crazy! I feel like she's crazy. We cannot let her do this. <laughs> Natalie's feeling guilty because she always tries to dodge these oh, things. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's be real. No, Giselle, that that is. I love that story. That is so cute. And you know, as we wrap this up, I just wanted to get your thoughts. You are out there, you know, on social, you're doing all the things, you're very public and you're, and you're very unapologetic about the, the causes you support. But can you talk about how you protect your own mental health around this area? Because we all know social media can be very challenging and, and scary at times. What do you do to protect your energy and preserve your power um, to be able to fight another day? I've learned these things, right? Like I used to cry a lot. I still cry a little bit. You're Pisces, honey. You're Pisces. <laughs> I, cry a lot. I mean, I, I get about 30 rape threats a day. I mean, wow. my inbox, but it's filled with. And, you know, I, I learned to really care about someone's opinions who I respect, right? Like I really care what my residents in Braddock think of me or my family or my kids. Do I really care what Fox right wing 
people think about me? Not really. Um, learn to quiet that noise. It's still exhausting. It's still a process. It still makes me sad to think these are real people. These are raising children. These are people who will be working places that I'm going to be in. But I've learned to quiet the noise. And that's really the only way is to remind yourself it's not personal. As a Pisces, everything's personal, right? Right. Uh, so not you it's the fear of the different of the unknown of other and that helps and i mean i still cry a lot Uh, (laughs) but but it's with an understanding that it's not about me yeah right it's not about you it's something much bigger than all of us and if people want to connect with you or if they want to learn more about how they can support the free store or learn about uh, the bone marrow registration. Do you have any websites or anything you can share for our action items for our audience listening? Definitely. So, I mean, definitely reach out to me on Twitter, as long as you're not sending me a mean message. Yes. <laughs> 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 definitely on uh, Twitter or Instagram. And the little boy that I'm referring to in Pittsburgh, his name is Jax. And if you are between um, 18 and 40, you can apply. You just send a text, and I'll tell you the number where to send it. Okay, you text J-A-X to 61474. And then in the mail, you'll get a kit. You'll register, you'll get a kit in the mail, you just provide your saliva, and then you're in the registry. So not only could you possibly save Jax's life, but there's so many other people looking for a registry and a match. And bone marrow, what a lot of people don't know, they think it's a very invasive process. It's really not, it's mostly blood. That's mostly needed. In a lot of cases, people will match, and then they turn down the process. So this family has hope, and then it breaks their heart. But he's seven years old. He's a Pittsburgh kid, and he's amazing, and he deserves to have a full future ahead. And right now, that's in in jeopardy. Mm, mm. Well, Giselle Fetterman, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. I always love seeing you, and I really look forward to hopefully having you back on again very soon. Thank you for making me your second guest. So special. You're number two. <laughs> okay, no, number one was our wonderful producer at Next Pittsburgh. So we kept it in house okay. early on. But don't worry, Giselle. You're number one in our hearts. It's fine. <laughs> Thank right. you so much. You're listening to In Other News. Thanks for tuning in. Well, after talking with Giselle, you know, I'm really reminded that. Washington just has so much on its plate front and center right now. And and this brings back up the idea of George Floyd and the Justice and Policing Act. And, you know, Biden today, as of this recording on uh, February 2nd, he is meeting with the Congressional Black Caucus uh, to talk about this in the wake of Tyree Nichols' violent beating death in Memphis. And now that we have people like Fetterman you know, in places of power and Summerlee in places of power, you know, maybe we'll see some real actionable items come out of this. But Tony, I know you have a column focused on what happened to Tyree Nichols uh, coming out Monday. Do you have some thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, actually, I do. Um, and uh, in fact, I've you know scribbled some, some notes here and uh, I'd like to share them with our audience. Um, first of all, I, I think Americans are used to thinking in terms of inflection points. The murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer in 2020 was supposed to be one such inflection point. That's when millions took to the streets to protest the racial inequities in our criminal justice system. 
And recently we watched body cam recordings of the brutal, ultimately fatal beating of Tyree Nichols by a unit of Memphis police officers. TV anchors and commentators lauded the swift firing of the cops who beat Tyree to death. Once again, we were assured that America had reached an inflection point. But skepticism is always warranted after events like this. Talk of retraining cops who see themselves more as warriors than public servants gives way to the status quo once there's an uptick in crime. So much for inflection points. Here in Pittsburgh, police have resumed low-level traffic stops that could lead to more deadly encounters despite public objection. It's as if we didn't learn anything from the police shooting that paralyzed activist Leon Ford a decade ago. It's as if we've completely forgotten the killing of Johnny Gamage in 1995 by Brentwood police officers who decided tapping on a brake light constituted reason enough to pull over a black man simply trying to get home that night. So many inflection points, but so little moral seriousness when it comes to doing anything meaningful about the bias in law enforcement culture. What happened to Tyree Nichols has shaken the nation, but we know deep down that we're experiencing, that what we're experiencing is just another Groundhog's Day of police violence. What is an inflection point anyway? In America, it's just another way of saying, here we go again. Oof, that was deep, Tony. Yeah, um, that, that video um, of Tyree Nichols being beaten mm -hmm. and um, really did, um, you know, touch me, trouble me, mm -hmm. and make me uh, think about what it means to be a citizen in this country. Um, and, um, and we do need that George Floyd um, Act um, passed and um, respected. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if we're going to get any any movement um, and, and get off this um, this this wheel of destruction that we're on. I agree. And, and thank you for those words. And just speaking from a, a white person's perspective, you know, at what point are we as white people going to say enough is enough and start moving towards dismantling white supremacy? It's unfair that the burden always seems to fall on the shoulder of others and people have to stop burying their heads in the sand. If we're going to get anywhere, we need to start working together. How many poor pe more people are going to have to die for us to do anything? And, and, and it's a terrible time for all of us, but um, your words are always appreciated and, and so poignant and so meaningful. Where can people check out your column on Monday if they want to read more? Um, they can go to the uh, next Pittsburgh website. Um, I should have had it memorized by now, but I don't. I think it's just <laughs> nextpittsburgh.com, Tony. Well, yeah, that's good. Enough. Well, Google it. Google Tony Norman and Next Pittsburgh. How about that? <laughs> I think we can. I think we can Google that. We'll also be putting it as one of our action items for the end of this week's show as well. That you can definitely check out Tony's column and learn more about all of these topics. And um, yeah. We'll be here next week with new guests, new conversations, new things to discuss, but always the same attitudes. Uh-oh. Power to the people, Tony. <laughs> Black Lives Matter. All the things. You're more radical than me. You know? I mean, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>
In Other News is a presentation of Next Pittsburgh and is proudly produced by us, along with our amazing team, Emma Honcharski and Margie Ruttenberg. Our editor is Sorgatron Media and original music by Jack Swing. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please like and share this episode and rate and review us wherever you're listening. It really helps us grow. And if you're listening on the Next Pittsburgh website, take a minute to take a look around to learn more about all the cool stuff happening in our hometown.